0: This morning's scripture reading is from Psalm 28, which you can follow on the screen or in your printed uh, bulletin insert or from your pew Bible. Psalm 28, as we continue on our series, uh, Summer in the Psalms, this is the word of the Lord of David. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me lest if you be silent to me i become like those who go down to the pit hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when i cry to you for help when i lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary do not drag me off with the wicked with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts give to them according to their work according to the evil of their deeds Give to them according to the work of their hands and render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands, he will tear, tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield in him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us as we begin. Lord, we pray that you teach us from this text today, that your divine inspired words would speak to our modern ears and hearts today. Lord, teach us, speak to us by your Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Did you know, I just read this this week, that you can get Wi-Fi at the very top of Mount Kilimanjaro. This is new, it's very recent, On the top of Africa's tallest mountain, which is also the world's largest freestanding mountain, you can get Wi-Fi. So as you're making your trek up, you could be checking your email or ordering a cappuccino or whatever you want to do, you can do it. As you hike up one of the world's tallest mountains. And here's the thing, they're actually kind of behind schedule because... Back in 2010, you could do the same thing at base camp of Mount Everest. So it took 12 years for Mount Kilimanjaro to get up to speed with the connectedness of our world today. And it's just its just the latest reminder of how connected we are as a world today and how easily we can get in touch with anybody from almost anywhere. So I have a run of statistics. I won't give you all of them, but... Um, Needless to say, most people in the world today, 91% around that, have access to a mobile phone of some kind. And even 83% have access to a smartphone, meaning you can do all the emails and social media things. Um, It's just, it's by far the fastest growing phenomenon in the world, the connectedness of our world, how easily technology can get to people to the point where it's a little scary, because one one article I read uh, was titled, cell phones are now more popular than toilets, meaning that more people have access to smartphones in the world than have access to clean sanitary toilets. Did you know that? It's, it's kind of one of those things you start laughing and then you start crying halfway through it because it's very sad how many people don't have access to clean sanitation around the world. Um, 85% of the world of the world's population has access to cell service, um, but really that's actually just 33% of the land mass. So you can still go to remote areas of the world and be off the grid, so to speak, but if you're a person, 85% of the world's population has access uh, to cell service, meaning that we can be heard by other people fairly easily. Now, the transition to our text for us is the question of if we can so easily be heard by almost anybody in the world from large distances away, even at the top of some of the highest mountains or to some of the lowest depths. Remember, like the song we sang, You Heights and all You Depths, from furthest east to west, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The transition for us into this text today is why does it feel then? that the one person that we all are trying to get in touch with sometimes doesn't seem to answer our call? God. Why does it feel like sometimes our prayers go unheard? Why does it feel like in verse 1 of chapter 28 of Psalms that God is silent to me or that he is deaf? When you make a phone call that no one answers, or when you send a text that no one responds to, is this how God is? If he is that, if he does, if he is deaf to us, if he doesn't answer us, then why do we keep calling out to him? Why do we keep crying out to him, oh God, in our deepest and darkest moments? Today, Psalm 28 is going to enter us into that place and help us answer that question from David's perspective, and we're going to look at two, two things here from this passage. One is the fear of not being answered, and the other is the reality that David discovers halfway through the, halfway through the psalm. And so the fear and the reality are the two things we're going to look at for this morning. So first, let's look at our fear when it comes to calling out to God, and our fear is that he is silent. Our fear is that he is, he is nowhere to be found, or maybe even worse, that he is there, but is just choosing not to answer. That's the fear that we face. So if you look at verses 1 through 5, that this is pretty much describing for us the fear and David is putting this into his words, into his own experiences. We don't know exactly what situation he's in, but we do know that he is fearing that God is not with him. One of the greatest fears in life is that no one hears you when you call out. You know, I have, I have small children. They're getting a little bit bigger now, so we're not experiencing this quite as much now. But still, sometimes we'll, we'll be awoken in the middle of the night with a, a little faint, Daddy... Daddy! Daddy! And if it goes a couple more, it turns into, Daddy! Daddy! If we don't answer quick enough, it goes from a a faint cry to a panicked, Where are you? Why aren't you coming to be with me? It's because I'm half asleep. I'm trying to get there. But the escalating panic in a young child when they're calling out for their dad or for their mom is reflective of our own soul when we're looking for help too. When we're crying out for help and we're not getting an answer, the panic begins to come in. And because it's a fear that maybe no one is coming. Maybe no one is there. Silence means that you're alone. And alone can be scary. You know, there's a good alone, like I'm getting away to experience solitude. And there's scary alone, which is I'm abandoned. No one is here, no one is coming. And the same is true for us in our soul and heart longings. When we have nowhere else to turn or to run, we naturally look for something greater than us to run to to help us and jump to our aid. Even if you're not religious, you still cry out for something, something greater than you to help. You know, there's a famous story of Richard Dawkins, for instance, who's one of the world's most famous atheists. He wrote the book The God Delusion. And he's a scientist who has spent his whole career trying to prove to people that there is no God. And yet there's a famous story of him on a radio uh, conversation talking about how there's no God um, and how he doesn't pray to a God, he doesn't reach out to God because he knows that's silly. And, and then the radio person asks him to try to remember someone's name, uh, just kind of off the whim, and Richard Dawkins, he's trying to remember his name. He says, oh, I know this name. I'm, I'm trying to remember his name. Oh, oh God, help me. I, I can't remember his name. And he catches, and so he says, I just, oh, God, I can't remember his name. Even there's something in us, even just as silly as that, that we catch of looking for help from the outside. But even if you are believing in God or religious you still cry out to him and ask him to show you once more that he is listening, that he's active, and that he's present in your life struggles. And this is what David does in Psalm 28. David believes in God, but he just hasn't experienced the answer yet. And therefore, he's beginning to cry out with more urgency. He cries out for God to not leave him alone, because David recognizes that without God, his destiny is the same as those who don't love God, as evildoers, as wicked people. He said, if God doesn't answer my prayer, then my destiny is the same as everybody else's. He'll say, I will go down to the pit. I'll be dragged off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, with those who speak peace to their neighbors, but while evil is in their hearts. He said, my destiny will be the same. And David knows that it's ultimately not up to him to determine what his destiny is, it's actually God's prerogative to answer or to not answer. And David is coming to grips with that here in the beginning. To you, O Lord, I call, don't be deaf to me, because if I'm deaf to you, if you don't hear me, if you're silent, then I will I will perish. So in verse two, David cries out for mercy. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. He asks God to be for him who he says he is. You know, so you think back to all the descriptors in the Old Testament where God reveals to his people who he is and what his heart is like. So one famous example is Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, where the Lord reveals to Moses, he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God of mercy and compassion. The God of steadfast love who extends his mercy to generations and generations. His character is a character of mercy and compassion. And so David says, God, that's who you are. Show me that again. I cry out for that mercy. And then in verse 3, David gets very specific in his prayer. Again, he's in a fearful state, so he gets very specific. And he says, God, this is my need. This is my prayer. Don't drag me off with the wicked. That's my specific prayer. He says, don't let me go off with them. This is a good reminder for us to be specific in our prayers, to give particular pointed specific prayers because God can handle our honesty and our directness. When we admit our neediness and ask God to be merciful and to be specific with our prayers, that's a place of faith, of saying, God, I'm, I'm trusting in you once again to hear this cry for mercy. And then in verse four, he takes it one step deeper and he asks for justice. You see, when you're not answered, when you feel like you don't have a voice or that you're not being heard, that is a entry point into a lack of justice or to be experiencing injustice, you could say. And think about the people in our world today, over the last couple of years particularly, who have voiced this concern that they are experiencing injustices or that they need justice of many kinds. And David asked for that too. He says, listen, give to the evildoers or to the wicked, give them according to their work, but don't drag me off with that. That's not just, he's saying. David knows what justice looks like, and he asks God for it. He's confident, David is, of where he will end up when praying for justice. He knows that if he prays for justice, and if his heart is seeking after God, then he will uh, find his place where God has promised him, which is different than the place of the wicked. Justice given out is the opposite of silence. When silence is present, injustice is is present. But when when an answer comes from God, that means justice is being dispensed because God is a god of justice. Justice is active. It is present. It reveals understanding. It reveals that God is listening and that he's active to those who are experiencing injustice. And David is asking for that. Finally, the last part here is of the fear is that in verse 5, we see David basically just speaking back to God what God has already promised in the scriptures. He says, because they, the wicked, do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands, God will tear them down and build them up no more. Do you hear that? He's kind of telling God what he has already said he is about. It's an interesting way to pray, isn't it? Saying, God, you said this is what you will do to the wicked and to the righteous. So be consistent. That's basically what he's saying. Be be who you say you are. Be the God of promise-keeping. David knows God's heart and his promises, and yet he still asks God to act and to be that. Why Why would he do it that way? Is he... Is he showing his doubt here that God maybe won't be faithful to his promise? Is he saying that God maybe won't do something unless he is asked? Is he thinking that God maybe is asleep at the wheel? Or maybe even that God isn't real at all? No. David is doing this because he is experiencing trouble and pain and injustice. And when you're experiencing pain and trouble and injustice and not feeling like you're being heard or that God is hearing you, the most faithful thing that a faithful prayer can display is of speaking back God's true promises. God, you are the God who makes a way for the righteous. You are the one who gives justice to those who need it. You are those who give according to our works. You are a God of mercy and grace. By speaking to God who he is, he is comforting and assuring himself that God is who he says he is. C.S. Lewis has this great quote for us um, that speaks well right here when it comes to pain, because David clearly is in a place of turmoil and questioning and and fear. And C.S. Lewis tells us how God likes to speak to us. Um, and he puts it really memorably this way. He says, quote, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When things are going good, God whispers to you. In our conscience, he speaks to you, but it's in our pain that he shouts to you. And it's actually the megaphone that he uses to rouse a deaf world. So who is deaf here now? Remember at the beginning, David was saying, God, don't be deaf to me. And now it's kind of turning on us. It's not God who is deaf to hearing us. It's actually the world who is deaf to hearing God. You see, because we're not trained as humans to think that pain is is the way that God can speak to us. But pain is actually the way that God does shout his grace to us. My grace is sufficient for you in weakness. So with that transition, let's go to the reality of what is happening here. That's the fear that we're not being heard or that the pain is just drowning out God's voice. But if in the pain, God's voice is actually shouting to us, then what's the reality? Verses six to eight, the reality is, is that we are heard. There is no prayer that you can pray to God in Jesus' name that does not go straight to the throne of grace and come right to his table. And he reads it and he hears it. That's our reality. Look how quick verse five to six transitions. Immediately in verse six, David says, blessed be the Lord. He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. David, didn't you just say that you were worried that he was deaf to you, that he wasn't hearing anything? And now you're saying, poof, verse six comes and now he has heard your prayer. Literally the next verse, David is assured that God has heard his prayer. How in the world can David know that? How in the world can you know that God has answered your prayer? How can we know this? You know, some of you may have an iPhone, for instance, and if you have an iPhone, or maybe the Androids do this too, I don't know. But when you do like an iMessage on your phone um, and it sends the message, you can see when it's sent. And then when the person reads it or opens the little app, you can see when it's read. Do you know that? If you didn't know that, now you know. You can see the time that the other person read your message. And you can have confirmation that even if they haven't responded to you yet, that, they, that they're, they're not underwater somewhere, that they actually opened up their phone and read the message or at least acknowledged that the message was sent. You have that assurance. Somehow, David has gotten to that place already in this text where he, he kind of sees the same writing on the wall, where he sees that God read the message. He heard the prayer, even if he hasn't responded yet. David is illustrating for us the power of the assurance of a faithful person who knows that God hears prayer. David's soul knows that because of God's faithfulness displayed to his people throughout generations, that even when certainty is not given, even when the the sky doesn't open up and an answered prayer is written in the sky, that God's trustworthiness is known personally in the uniqueness of our individual lives because we are known by God. Charles Spurgeon has said that God is too kind, I'm sorry, God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. David here shows us that he trusts God's heart. Even though he hasn't seen the tracing of the hand yet, he trusts his heart. And to show that, look at verse 7. One, two, three. Four, five, my's are listed in verse seven. In one verse, David personalizes everything. Five, five times he uses the word my. The Lord is my strength. He's my shield. In him, my heart trusts. I am helped. My heart exalts. With my song, I give thanks to him. That's evidence of being an internally processed, personal prayer person. He realizes how close God is to him. He has heard David personally. God is with David personally. And then in verses 8 and 9, David opens it up to everybody. The Lord is the strength of his people, the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. It's not just for David, but it's a reality for all of God's people, because God's promises are sure. God is near to his church, to his people, to his heritage. He will not forsake us or leave us or abandon us or not hear us. He will be with us. He will carry us. He will shepherd us. He will always hear our prayers. So what do we do then when we feel like we're not being heard? When you pray your prayer and you feel like you're not heard, what do you do? You keep praying. Keep praying faithfully. Tim Keller tells us that if we knew what God knows, which wouldn't that be great, but we don't. But if we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what He gives. If we knew what God knows, we would ask for exactly what He will give us. The problem for most of us then is not unanswered prayer, but just simply not knowing the right things to pray for. How do you know the right things to pray for? It's by spending time with God, by getting to know His character, His person, His love. His grace, his compassion. And that comes through being a faithful prayer. By continuing to go to him over and over and asking him over and over to be near you, to reveal himself to you, to teach him anew about who he is. Luke 18 is a is a great example. It's the parable of the persistent widow. I encourage you to go read it sometime. It's the story of this judge who's gonna hand down a sentence to this widow. But she keeps coming back and just begging and pleading her case over and over and over and over. And finally, what happens? The judge says, fine, I hear it and I'll give to you as according to what you're asking. And Jesus says, that's what God is for you. Be a persistent prayer, a persistent widow. Just have to ask over and over in faith and then listen and watch for God's answer. And then by seeing how God answers your prayers, we learn God's heart deeper and deeper, more and more, day by day. You see, by if, if, if you just give up on praying and say, "Oh, I'm not going to pray to God because he never answers my prayers, then you'll never learn how he answers prayer. But by praying, even when you don't know exactly what to pray for, or how to specifically pray, or, this, or even the right things to pray for, but even just by simply praying, simple prayers, you learn... God's heart by how he responds to that prayer. Even if he doesn't answer the prayer the way you prayed it, by how he answers it, you say, oh, that's that's what God was after. He was after this unanswered prayer that I should have prayed for. And the one that I prayed for, actually, if he answered it, it wouldn't have gone that well because he knows me better than I know myself. He knows the world better than I know the world. And that's how you learn God's heart by praying and by listening and by keep going back to the fountain of living water and asking him to show himself. And the result is a life of deep contentment in your prayer life, of praying prayers with open hands and saying, God, answer it according to your pleasure and show me your heart. Paul shows us this really beautifully in Philippians chapter 4. Let me just read Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. And just listen Listen to the place that Paul has gotten to. Paul has gotten to a place of deep understanding of the Lord. And this is something that I'm envious of. And I, I hope you are as well. Listen to what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Listen to this. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious. Just give your prayers to God and let the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, rule in your life. I I want that. I want that kind of contentment and release and freedom in life. I'll close with this illustration, and then we'll come take the Lord's Supper together. Kind of the last story is uh, a crazy story. I read it a couple weeks ago. It was a story of a man who was vacationing off the coast of Greece. He's 30 years old, and he got lost at sea. I think he was on some kind of boat or something and got got swept off by the wind. And he was drifting out in the sea, just utterly hopeless. And while he's out in the middle of the sea, a little tiny soccer ball starts floating his way. Just picture this guy desperate in the middle of the ocean and a little soccer ball comes and he grabs onto the soccer ball And holds on to it for 18 hours. And it's enough to keep him above water. And it helps him to survive for 18 hours. Then eventually he was spotted and saved, brought to shore. And the news did a story on it in Greece. And as the the story was being shown, a woman was watching the news. And she said, I recognize that ball. And she goes to the news and says, my kids, my two kids, 11 and six-year-old, were playing with their favorite ball on the beach uh, when the when the sea, it went under the ocean and it swept it away. And that was the ball that this guy ended up being saved by. It actually was, it was half deflated. It wasn't even a fully inflated soccer ball. And so this man told the local media after the rescue that the ball was the reason for his survival, despite it being only... Half inflated. The point for you and I is not so much the answered prayer of this guy who is drowning in the ocean and God sending him a little soccer ball. That's not the point of this illustration. But it's the detail of the reality of a God who hears and provides for his people. And God offers us a free gift of life with him now and forever by his grace. Just like that little inflatable ball that reached this man out in the middle of the ocean, that is the grace of God that reaches and extends to each of us in the person of Jesus. That enables us to walk with confidence to the throne of grace and bring any prayer we can, knowing that we will be heard in our time of need. God's grace is sufficient for you. He hears your prayers. Go boldly, over and over like the persistent widow, and experience God's love and grace over and over, day by day, and just watch and see how God answers. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your grace would come alive to us in this moment, that your presence would be felt in this place, and that as we leave and go about our lives, Monday to Saturday, that we would know you are always available to us. And we can pray anything to you and we are heard. Teach us the heart of David, the heart of Paul, the heart of Jesus, that we might see you and know you better. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.